Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Hi everyone, I'm so glad to welcome you to the opening of the word and our message for this week. We're gonna be in Acts 8, one through four. So if you can, get your Bibles out and turn to Acts 8. It's right near the end. As we have been going through the book of Acts and the search for the spirit-filled life, I feel really deep conviction that we're supposed to focus some time here in Acts 8 in a portion of the story that I'm calling Scattered. Uh, We'll talk about what that means in just a moment, but for now, let's pick it up at uh, chapter 8, verse 1, where Stephen has just been martyred. He's the first person who has died um, for the name of Jesus, for professing Jesus's name. And um, we're kind of seeing the aftermath of that. So let's see. It says in verse one, now Saul approved of putting Stephen to death or Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. At this time, the person who will become the apostle Paul is referenced as Saul in scripture. And it says Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. Now, this is important because when we talk about being, you know, approving of something, we say, yeah, that's fine with me. But the word approved here is more like a legal term, meaning that Saul would have formally cast his vote or officially overseen Stephen's conviction and execution. So he's not just a bystander who agrees that this should be happening, but he's taking an active role in making sure that Stephen was punished to the fullest extent of the law for professing the name of Jesus. So that's who we're dealing with when we talk about Saul. And it says, it continues, on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So we're seeing this church of a few thousand people who had stayed in Jerusalem and were um, moving in the spirit, giving to the poor, meeting in house to house and going to large gatherings at the temple. Um, they now uh, are seeing that being a part of this new uh, way of Jesus's way isn't just dangerous, couldn't just get you in trouble, but can literally get you killed. And they are scattered. They flee. Now the apostles stay in Jerusalem because the idea there is that they were not going to abandon their people in order to be safe themselves. There would, of course, be some people in the new church who were not able to run away and were not able to um, hide in, in the same way. And so they stayed in Jerusalem to assure that the people left there who were in the church had leadership. But it says that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, Stephen's death and the persecution that followed becomes the fulfillment of the Great Commission from Luke 24 that says they should go to Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Jesus told them that is where they were being commissioned to go to share the good news. And yet up until this point, they have not left Jerusalem. They have stayed there. He said, stay in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power from on high. And then you'll be my witnesses, um, my testimony. 
from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And that phrase is repeated here as Luke talks about the church being scattered. In fact, in the New American Standard Study Bible, it says the beginning of the fulfillment of the commission is not by the church's plan, but by events beyond the believer's control. How interesting is that? That the fulfillment of what God wants to do in them and through them isn't something they have chosen isn't something that they've said, well, on this date, that'll work for me. Or at this time, I will choose to go be a missionary. Because of circumstances beyond their control, they are put exactly where Jesus wants them. The word for scattered here is literally sown. So we can think scattered like you turn on lights and roaches go, (laughs) like fleeing. Or you can think of a farmer sowing seed, tossing it out, right? Like a farmer sows seed, or I'm thinking of like a push spreader throwing weed and feed all over my lawn, okay? It's this like, and it's just scattering everywhere in this broad pattern. So the new believers of this new church are being sown in the surrounding lands and people. It's all about how you look at this moment, scattered or sown. They have been scattered just as Jesus said that the the word would be sown and produce a crop in Luke 8, 4 through 8. So same author, Luke wrote Acts and in the gospel of Luke, he, he quotes Jesus talking about a farmer who goes and sows seed and depending on the soil that it lands in, it gets choked, it gets eaten up or it produces a crop 30, 60, 100 times. And what Luke seems to be telling us here through this use of the word scattered or sown when it talks about them fleeing Jerusalem and going into the surrounding areas is that we are the seed being scattered. The word that the seed sows is the good news of Jesus. It's the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. The good news, the good word of Jesus goes with us as we are sown, as we are scattered. And then it says in verse two that some devout men buried Stephen and mourned loudly for him. Why is this important? Uh, It doesn't just mean that people were sad, but that public mourning was not allowed for someone who had been executed as a blasphemer. So You know, people are supposed to mourn for you in this culture. And in fact, in some um, Middle Eastern cultures, you pay mourners to come to your house and wail loudly for your people who have died. But if you are executed under temple law here as a blasphemer, as someone who's spoken against the temple or spoken against God who blasphemes, no one is allowed to publicly mourn for you you're supposed to go out in silence because you have died this dishonorable death. So there's biblical precedence that the community is actually to rejoice when a blasphemer is judged and dies because then the community will not be separated from God and judged for that person's sin. 
So rather than mourn when a blasphemer dies, you're supposed to celebrate, okay? That's the kind of Old Testament viewpoint that they're coming from. So devout godly men publicly and loudly mourning Stephen was like a peaceful protest against the verdict of the council of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. They were publicly saying that they did not agree that Stephen was a blasphemer, that they stood with him, and they mourned Stephen as a righteous man rather than a sinner who had been thrown out of the community or committed a grave sin. This was a huge act of rebellion. To mourn Stephen loudly and publicly was an act of rebellion, even as persecution had begun against the church. These men refused to let Stephen die unmourned. They were saying, we stand with him. They are saying to their community, this man didn't deserve to die. In verse three, it goes on and says, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he would drag away men and women and put them in prison. So, that word ravaging is like tearing the church apart like a wild animal. You know, it's just a complete tearing apart or ripping apart of this new church and these new believers. So what he was doing would have been sanctioned by the council, by the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, and he would have executed their orders, not just by himself he was dragging men and women, but he probably had help from Levitical guards or temple guards or, or someone else who was kind of like put into his service by the council to do this. So this is not like, you know, the mob with one mind goes after Stephen in, in chapter seven that we talked about. This is like an orchestrated and calculated attack that's very regimented, like house by house, drag these people out. Um, something to keep in mind is that the council, the Sanhedrin, who's making these verdicts against them are mostly Sadducees and Paul was a Pharisee. And those two groups actually disagreed a lot on some very important stuff. Um, but here they work together to route their common enemy, which is anyone who professes the name of Jesus. It's like, it's very strange to see these two groups coming together in unity in order to like get rid of this name of Jesus and his followers. They unite in their hatred <laughs> for the name of Jesus. Um, and so both men and women here are being persecuted equally. And that is also very important. Um, men in this time were very much the head of the household. Um, they were the ones who would represent the house in legal matters and all that. So when it says both men and women are being dragged from their homes, what that tells us is that women also played a prominent role as disciples in this new community. Um, we see that even the earliest church, again, was full of men and women who are willing to die for their faith. And Paul um, or Saul would have uh, dragged them from their homes and brought them into some kind of public place and then asked them to blaspheme, to speak against, to renounce the name of Jesus. And if they wouldn't, that would prove that, you know, they were Christians and then they would uh, get in trouble, be executed, be flogged, whatever. Um, Paul was very passionate against Jesus' followers. Okay, and here's verse four. Those who had been scattered went through places preaching the word. 
or let's take it completely literally. Those who had been sown went throughout these places bringing the good news of the word. So we see here that not only did persecution fail to stop the expansion of the church, but it accelerated its growth, not on the terms that they had chosen, but on terms that were handed to them in sadness and in anger and in hatred. Because that's what God does. He redeems, he works in our weaknesses when we feel weak, when we feel empty and confused, he is allowed to be glorified all the more. Steve Shell says that this work turned ordinary believers into missionaries. It drove them into the very places Jesus had commanded them to go after they had been clothed with power from on high. I love that. That not only did persecution fail to stop the expansion of the church, it accelerated its growth. I think we can look at a passage like this and think, how horrible. And it was horrible. It was horrible. Stephen has died. Men and women are being dragged from their homes. This church that enjoyed such unity and care of each other, being together every day, sharing communion, sharing what they had in common, sharing meals and homes, now is scattered you're not gonna see each other anymore. Some people are gonna be on their own. Some families are gonna be on their own. And yet in the midst of this persecution um, of mourning Stephen and this horrible situation, even in their darkest hour, they are being sown as seeds for the good news of Jesus. They are being sent to places they never would have gone and seeing people they never would have shared. And I think it's important to note that because often I feel useful for God when I am full of the spirit, prayed up, doing well. Oh, I see things so clearly when I am doing well. But when I'm confused or when I'm depleted or when really hard things have happened, I feel the least able to represent Jesus well. I feel like I'm just trying to make it through the day. I'm just trying to make it through the week. And in those times, I assume that my contribution to the kingdom is nothing. But what we see here in Acts is that even though there was supposed to be this kind of like utopian state in the church, for a time, a time when the apostles were broken out of prison by an angel, a time when they, um, the, the Sanhedrin was stopped from executing them, that that time actually, that beautiful, perfect, wonderful, familial time needs to come to an end so that they can be sent. And that's hard to wrestle with because I prefer Acts chapters one through six. 
but most of our lives may reflect seven and eight. (laughs) Stephen giving the basis of why he's believing the name of Jesus and then scattered, mourning, confusion. And it feels like those things cannot be of the Lord. It feels like what's of the Lord is the utopian, peaceful, you know, the Sanhedrin's coming for us, but God delivers us every time. But what this is saying is that God is just as present and working and able to redeem in the darkest of times as he is in the times when everything feels great. Even though it's hard, there was like a peace that accompanied that time. And this feels like it's just hard. It's just hard. So let's talk about how that might apply to us today. I think in this last year, 18 months, we have been driven out. Just as the new church was driven out of Jerusalem, I feel like we have been driven out. Driven out of what? Out of our routine, out of our comfort. Um, We've been able to consider how we've been living our lives and what's truly important. So we've been driven out of what's normal or comfortable. What have you been driven out of this last 18 months? What have you been driven out of? How has this great shakeup changed the way you see things? How has your perspective changed? What perspectives have you been driven out of that you cannot hold anymore? What is God driving you to? If you're being driven out of the comfort and utopia of Jerusalem, where's your Judea and Samaria? Where is he driving you to? What is this season for? What's the call of this season? Secondly, we have been scattered. And I mean physically. We are no longer in places that we once were. We spent more than a year not being those places. And now we are being sent back into places that somehow feel unfamiliar because we have been not going out for this last season for this last year and some. We're in new places. In summer, we're gonna be traveling all different sorts of places and seeing all different sorts of people in person that we have not seen for a long time. That is the summer season. And it's time to stop looking at that as saying like, oh no, why isn't everyone gathering in this one place? But saying like summer is the season of being scattered. Summer is the season of being sown. So let's be sown. The people we're seeing and the places we're going and the family we're visiting, you're being sown in those places. Where are you being sown as you start new routines, go new places and see new people or or new, new now because you haven't seen them in a year or whatever else? Where we have been scattered is where the word goes in our lives. 
if you are to be sown, where is God sowing you? And then thirdly, the question is, have you been clothed with power? Jesus said, don't, you're, you're gonna go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but do not leave Jerusalem till you have been clothed with power from on high. So as we are sown and as we are scattered this summer, like seed from a farmer, have you been clothed with power? So Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive and active, God, that it is speaking to our present moment. And Lord, we bless you and thank you, God, that we have been sown, even when we don't feel prepared, even when we don't feel confident, even when we don't feel sure, even when it feels like we're running scared, God, you are sowing us with your good word. And we trust you to do that work in Jesus' name, amen. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. I'm Paul, one of the producers of the Land of Hope podcast. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.